picking up Data's mom on our way to the Polynesian fuck planet. It's V'ger, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I'll talk Trek, even though your other friends don't want to. Your co-host, Peter. Peter, before we You discuss... picked up on Data's mom, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Thought I, was, I thought I was going to surprise you when I started calling her that, but... Data's mom's got it going on, man. Yeah, once Data's mom, always Data's mom. On non-mom topics, there is our Patreon, which I am mentioning because we just put content on it recently. We we decided to try something a little different, and instead of doing like a structured, episodic review of something where we really take the time to you know, discuss what we're going to review in advance, and we edit it and all of that, it does take a lot of time to do extra episodes to fit into our schedule, so we only get one out every few months. We figured we would do a less structured sort of just chit-chat review of Stranger Things since we had both watched it. And I went to put it up. We didn't really edit it. Just as to say, hey, you know, if you're a fan of our, our work and you like hearing us talk about stuff, here you go. So if you are on our Patreon and you like that sort of thing, let us know. Because we're considering like, well, we could do more if this is okay. <laughs> so uh, if if... Quantity is more than editing quality to you, the humble Patreon listener. Do let us know. And in addition, I wanted everyone to know that after we are done with season one of Enterprise, which is coming soon, we are not a few weeks here. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll do our usual uh, rip at the end of that. And then our intention is actually to do a special episode where we're going to discuss uh, Voyager once again, but Voyager season eight, the Voyager season eight podcast, I guess multimedia project at this point by Jonathan Morris, uh, who has become a friend of the pod. And uh, we're going to talk to him about that project, how, why he started it and all the direction he's going with it. And I know you started listening to it too. It's I'm current. Yeah. He's, I think, What's the last one he put out? Five. Was that a little taste of Paris or something? Yeah, that's that's the one where he like goes to because he asked me about cities in Ohio because Chicote's like cousin is supposed to be from Ohio and that shows up in Toledo. (laughs) (laughs) Cyrus. Akron. Ak- there's a lot of drug activity in Akron. Northwest Ohio is basically worst Ohio. Is it? I think there's you start getting down on that Kentucky border. There's a lot of Hey, listen. I I, I can see Kentucky from my house. There's it's nice so- parts of that border, but there's some real messy areas <laughs> as well. One thing in which there is no methamphetamines, only vibes is strange new worlds. And you actually started watching it now that it's over. Yeah. So God, man, it's rough watching TV in the summer. Cause I want to be outside doing stuff with the kids and soaking in the nice, good weather before frozen hell comes for us. But we knocked out strange new worlds and then we binged the boys season three, which should be the, did you watch it? I have not watched boys season three yet. Oh, I haven't maybe. watched cat up on anything. Amazon yet. If you watch that, then that'll be the next one for Patreon chit chat. Caught up on Better Call Saul, and then we got into Strange New Worlds. So I've watched one episode so far. Um, I'm going to go with my wife's assessment because I thought it was correct, and it is boring. And I was feeling a little down on it. Like it looked good, but it was just this real simple plot. Uh, they moved very quickly. I think there was a lot of. Um, convenience and uh, jumping from one thing to another. And then I kind of stopped myself in my criticism. And I said, uh, let, let me just enjoy the fact that this was a happy story with nothing sinister. It was simplistic and it was a little um, overly convenient, but that is a lot of classic Star Trek. And it's what I've been asking for. And there was some cool character stuff in it. It felt good for it just to be a everything above the table feel good episode of Trek. It's kind of amazing in that it exists and also that it hasn't existed in some time, right? Like that pilot is a nice thesis statement of the show. In my opinion, it is very much what the rest of the show feels like. I would say the show's worst sin is that it is playing it so safe that it 
calling it boring, I think, is a is a relatively defensible thing to do. But a lot of Trek is kind of like that, right? Like there there it is a slower show. It is not trying to do anything super bold a lot God, of the time. Can you even look at that as a pilot. So so let's I don't know what we in five minutes here. So let's let's yeah. let's let's dedicate some time to this. In the pantheon of first episodes of Star Trek, I'll put it at the fucking top, man. I'll I'll go ahead and say it displaced Broken Bow. Um, certainly better than Encounter at Encounter Far- hmm. at Farpoint is fucking boring as shit. There is a lot that does not happen. They had a lot on their plate. They had to establish the 24th century and basically they had established Q. They had established like, oh, yeah, that, that was a doozy. Uh, I can't even remember what the first episode of Discovery. And, and again, we enjoyed my wife and I enjoyed the first season of Discovery specifically because Lorca. But so much of uh, Strange New Worlds <clears throat> was clearly telegraphed. Not clear. It was it was built and it was launched in discovery season two that it doesn't really feel like you're starting a new show. You're going back to things that were already existing, but now, you know, there's some new faces and some chairs and some radical haircuts. Pike had a mo had some time to be established as a character and Anson Mount in particular as an actor was able to kind of figure out what this guy is supposed to be using discovery as a way to do. So definitely helped it feel a little bit more ready to go. I mean, the entire crux of that first episode, which is Pike being traumatized by seeing his own miserable future. was was all explicitly laid out in uh, Discovery season two. So, you know, this this is all stuff that got its legs. And there were multiple episodes to review that material mm-hmm. and really give them a chance. So, yeah, it, it was kind of a boring episode, but. In the again, the catalog of the first episode of the Star Trek series, I will take boring over fucking awful and shitty the way that Voyager was. And, you know, a couple of these other guys. Yeah, you compare it to Caretaker. It's really no question which one's better. You know, Pike goes out there. He gives a banger of his speech. He unites a whole alien planet behind him. Like, you know, this is the sort of shit you show up for. And, uh, you know. I hope you continue to watch the show. If you do, I think we might eventually venture out there with maybe a review. I, I imagine we won't be able to help ourselves if if you and have. You said season or episode two is the worst, and then hopefully it'll go to from me, there. I mean, some people do like it. I think it's the worst because it's the worst written, and and I'm interested. I'll be interested to hear what you have to say. Episode two is reveals the show's worst trait, which is its writers are so on the fucking nose with things that they cannot trust their audience. And they get a little bit better and to, depending on who's writing is a little bit more maturity, a little bit more ability to sort of let, let, you know, the, the actors kind of fig, figure things out in the performance. And those episodes tend to be better, but Holy shit. Like when it's decides it wants to explain things to you, it gets really frustrating to watch. And well, that's, that was what we criticized. Too. Um, what was the internment can episode? Uh, detained. Detained. Same deal there. You, you can't let me see, hey, that's Oppenheimer in Jatrell. No, this we are talking specifically about this thing right here. And we're also going to have a hologram display of it on there. I, I'm going to make an assumption that <clears throat> um, you're not a fucking idiot and completely wrong. And that Strange New Worlds is at the worst pretty OK, right? If yeah. not legit good trek and there's been a lot of people in our little community pages between the facebook group and discord that have shown uh acceptance if not endorsement for it and i haven't really seen anybody straight up like spraying venom about it i i gave the series overall a b score very generous for a season one yeah i think it's it's probably the strongest season one of trek ever so here is the incredible thing to me Right. Because these this this is something that is being produced. There's no one new involved in this. Yeah, it's the same fucking people. It is the same people that we have literally crucified and and vilified and motherfucked for probably cumulative hours uh, who, who we are ready to send to the fucking the, the Hague for war crimes levels of atrocities out of Picard. More, more like the shoot, but OK. 
I'd send them to the shoot. And then they can turn around and put out something that isn't just uh, passable, but is good bordering on pretty great. So the accomplishment there isn't that, hey, look, they did a great job uh, in writing Strange New Worlds. It's revealing the the writer's room gymnastics that it has taken to suppress the Star Trek that everybody wanted all along. The fucking money has been sitting there on the counter waiting for fans to come up and take it and say, yes, this is what I wanted. And you had, who was a good football team? The Patriots. You had the Patriots fucking defense there blocking this thing, willing to do whatever it takes to keep fans from getting what they wanted. And it wasn't until this fucking year that secret robot hideout, whatever, Fine. I was like, all right, fine. Just give them the goddamn thing. And and voila, you've got something that everybody, almost everybody seems that they're able to get on board with. It, it, it comes down, I think, sometimes to creator arrogance in that they don't want to produce the mass market thing that everyone wants. They want to create something bold and unique and has vision and that they'll get all of the good fucking articles and variety about. And the problem is, of course... Nobody actually wanted any of that, and the product degraded over time. It became a problem, and eventually, obviously, got to a point where someone told them, make the fucking show everyone wants. And they did, and they always could, and that is frustrating and worthy of perhaps you and I have a much longer discussion about. Uh, But there is something to unpack about the fact that they seem to have this in them the whole time. Yeah, it's, it's not impressive that you made something great. It's impressive that you went through the the effort you did to not make that through two separate series, Picard yes. and Discovery. Again, I still liked um, Lower Decks. Lower Decks. If you don't like Lower Decks, fuck you. I, th- I think like the lower decks writers though are the are the ones that understood oh they're the this most of all yeah they always understood this they were making jokes about how much discovery sucks on their show yeah and like Jack Quaid going on Red Letter Media I think says a lot because they were savage about Picard and they were not kind to Discovery either Mm-mm. and Jack Quaid still went on that show. And you, there, there had that sends a message, right? That sends a message in the background to say, "We know, mm-hmm. we know this shit is dog shit, and we're sorry." <laughs> like, tell them, Jack. Tell them that we know. They put a fucking RLM joke in, in into lower decks, like beat for beat. Yeah, like they know and it worked well. It was a great. It, did. it was perfect. <laughs> I love it. You know what oh. I also loved was this episode of Star Trek we watched. Could you tell me about what it was? We're going into season one, episode 23. That's crazy, man. 23 episodes into this. Like, yeah, it's almost scary. I mean, there's only four seasons. And when we did Voyager, I was like, man, this is just going to go on forever. And once we got to like season six, I was like, oh, shit. Here there's we only two more of these left. <laughs> and like, I'm like, fuck, man, we're down to three more uh, seasons and we're done with this. Uh, season one, episode 23, Fallen Hero. This, according to the old memory alpha here, which is skimpy as always, first aired May 8th, 2002. Story by Rick Berman, Bran Braga, and Chris Black. Teleplay by Alan Cross, directed by Patrick Norris. I don't really recognize Cross, Black, or Norris. I think Chris Black was actually a staff writer at this time. For Enterprise. Uh, yeah. So first three seasons, he was a staff writer, uh, supervising producer during the first season, co-executive producer for the second and the third. He, as a writer, touched on Rogue Planet, Fallen Hero, and an episode that hasn't played yet for season one. So I was listening to Detained today, coming home from work, reminding me just how bad of a string of episodes that we have had to watch again, feeling the enterprise burn. I, I keep trying to think back to uh, the last episode we did, which was what come shot hero. Just, I'm so sad. You didn't use any of my. <laughs> yeah. If only the people don't know how many titles we went through before. I'm like, Peter, 
this has to survive in the algorithm somehow. I can't I call it the really Jizztacular. Jizztacular, yeah. It was, yeah. I, thought that was, I can't do it. Come shot monster. Uh, just a complete, utter steaming fucking turd. I mean, we, we had in a row, Rogue Planet, Acquisition, Oasis, Detained, Voxola. That is a rough quartet of episodes to have watched. Fusion was good. That was the last time you and I kind of agreed that it, there was something that was pretty and good. And even Fusion had major problems. It had problems. It had a lot of problems. And before that was Shuttlepod 1, which clearly was a point of division between us. So really, I also like, think we should have renamed uh, Quantum Flop a perfectly good waste of Al to go yeah. along with Odo. Because, I mean, you're just – this last stretch of Enterprise episodes has just been fucking throwing great guest stars in trash episodes. This was a return to some more quality, though. This was the kind of like it gives you a little bit more background on the Vulcans. It's, you know, you've got a bit of an intrigue plot, some action. You know, you got some stuff going on here. And more importantly, no cum monsters, no reasonable jackbooted thugs making, you know, (laughs) fucking horse manure of your fucking writing. Great villains for this one. Uh, A little skeevian almost, I felt. Yeah, had that vibe. Had that sort of Bon Viant vibe to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was interesting, though, was I forgot this episode began with a subplot that continues for several episodes, which is Enterprise trying to get to planet Fucktown. Yeah, so let's get out our boomer humor. And I don't mean the baby or uh, space boomers. This is going to be the Rick Berman baby boomer humor. A hook, a hook, a hook. Let's have to Paul telling Trippin Archer they need to get laid. Wouldn't that be a a yuck fest? It is definitely sounds like someone is forty two in the year two thousand two <laughs> would think that's fucking funny. Like nailed it, nailed it. We open up right where we always do, and that's uh, indulging the Enterprise food budget. It's Trip. It's Archer and it's DePaul sitting around the dinner table and uh, Archer's doing a spit take. And it's just that it's it's Archer uh, reflecting that DePaul just said, you guys seem like you're losing efficiency because everybody's everyone's under fucked. Everyone's under fucked on this on this ship. You're filled with cum. Probably because that monster like yeah. lathering over everything. If, if only they had linked that in. They said, listen, you guys got sucked in by that cum monster. It filled and your butthole up with all the cum. And you need like, to get we, the we cum gotta out. stop. I still feel filthy from <laughs> <laughs> You need to get the cum out. So she, she she's like, you, everyone on this ship needs to fuck, literally. So here's a planet you can go to called Ryza. It is a planet filled with people who are down to fuck, and you should go. It is and a glory hole for the Alpha Quadrant. It is literally the Polynesian island that you explorers much find with all of the the natives who are happy to to be of service to you. Ten fingers per hand to jack you off. I mean, it was 12. And so the episode is not about them getting to Ryza, nor will the next episode. But yet there is this subplot. It is even noted in the Memory Alpha. They have it as the, the arc Journey to Ryza, part one of three <laughs> here. And uh, I... An odd choice for them to have so much buildup to them to getting to the fuck planet. But I guess when you're trying to make this the sexy show, you're going to lean all the way in. We get some good dialogue here that identifies that they have been out since the incident of Broken Bow 10 months now. Joe, can you do some quick space math if we're on episode 23? How many incidents has that been per whatever? Well, I mean... Typically eight months, that's going to be 16 pay periods. So they are above the Voyager rate of one one space incident per pay period. They're above rate. You know, they've got some doubles in there. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, they're doing it the first time. You know, when you're working for a startup, you have to you have to know <laughs> that you're going to be in the office a little bit more. You're going to run crunch in- time. Yeah, you're going to run into a little bit more space hazards. You know, you want that cushy job. This is not for you. This is not for you. So they float this Ryza thing out for a while. Uh, Archer is convinced that it's time to give the crew a little bit of shore leave. They turn the ship around. They're going off for it. 
uh, we get what I believe is probably an iconic picture of Trip in his little Hawaiian shirt, which everybody gives him shit about. It's a great Hawaiian shirt and everyone's a hater. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I'm right. You know I'm right. Shut the fuck I'm up. <laughs> pan the webcam over so I can see your closet and you can go ahead and reveal to me that you actually own a copy of that shirt for yourself. It is not an exact copy. It's merely, <laughs> it merely is an homage. <laughs> it's a couple sizes larger. I'm not uh, Hollywood jacked. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that goes without saying. I'm saying the pattern is more of an homage. Uh, we are led to believe that somehow Archer is going to decide that he is not going to go down to the surface and enjoy the fun that, that they want me to, for a minute, believe that this guy is half the captain that Jean-Luc Picard is and going to try and study through summer break. Even JLP in his prime is no match for fuck planet. (laughs) Let's be real. Yeah. Get that fucking, uh, belly shirt out with all that chest hair going but uh they browbeat him they go come on you can you can go down to the surface too and just when archer's acquiescing and saying all right i'm gonna go have a little bit of vacation as well they get the emergency message from starfleet admiral forrest has taken off his uh, makeup that he had on last week when he uh you know sick to the cum the cum monster on enterprise and is <laughs> back to being a normal admiral and says hey i'm just a normal crazy admiral hey john uh listen i need you to do me a solid i need you to go to this fucking planet and pick up this ambassador uh from vulcan so this 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 planet's called mazar and apparently this ambassador who will find out is named Valar has got to go. And it's got to go right now. And you're closer than the closest Vulcan ship who will rendezvous with you on the way back. But hey, listen, it's one of those favors you do for your neighbors when, uh, you know, you sometimes need their help, too. So when's the last time we talked to Vulcans? It would have been Fusion. Fusion, and even at the end of that one, uh, Starfleet had already done one good boy feat to get some good boy points to to you know fix the incident of Pajem, and that was getting the councilman's cool. We liked him. I forget what his name was, Towel or something. Yeah, the the Roly Poly Vulcan contacted yeah. his dad. Yeah, which some some good boy points there. And now there's this one. I would have liked if they would have said, you know, we're, we're almost back to being cool with these guys. And, you know, they're not asking about getting DePaul out anymore. But Archer puts up his what I believe to be character defining. Anytime there's an ask of Archer, especially by somebody in a legitimate position to make an ask of Archer, he was trying to like plant his heels and lean back and like like my my. My two-year-old just, hey, can you do this? No, no, just instant pushback. He, the stupidest trait they gave Archer was this pathological desire to just never help the Vulcans, despite the total illogic of it. And I get that, like, the Vulcans can be dicks, and we've definitely seen a fair share of that on in the show so far. It's bigger than that, though, man. Jump back to Detained when Dean Stockwell's like, hey, let's cooperate, and I've got information. No! I don't like being, f- uh, what do he say, my arm twisted. Was that what he called it, arm twisting? Coerced, whatever. Basically- I don't like being strong-armed. They're not putting you in a fucking electric chair and like zapping your nipples with yeah they want to trade information with you about your worst fucking enemy like they want to like help you you to repair a fucking damaged relationship because you like youtube leaked the (laughs) secrets but eventually he gets over it and agrees and uh hoshi gives up her cabin for the ambassador so interesting uh, design choice here that you sent unlike Voyager Enterprise launched pretty much full crew complement. You know, the fucking guns weren't installed because who needs those in the depths of space? But uh, everything else is pretty much ready to go. And interesting that their exploration vehicle and for all intents and purposes, their first like real diplomatic ship, right? Wouldn't have any sort of guest quarters whatsoever. I, I like it as a detail to say 
all of the space is so economical that they could not afford to have a separate VIP quarters. What if they had given, um, what's her name? Lavar? Valar. Yeah. Oh, Valar. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Data's mom. What if they've mm-hmm. given Data's mom uh, Daniel's quarters with the big fucking security lock on it? That was like a tiny, like that was like smaller than my dorm room with like a bunk bed in it, though. Like, yeah, I but there's like potentially this. cool future stuff in there to discover. Like, she could have fallen into a fucking pocket realm or something. Came back out with eight centuries of Vulcan technology. They <laughs> should have taken Hoshi since she was uh, vacating her quarters and put her with Daniel's old roommate that he hated. Wasn't that guy like clipping his toenails or something gross? Nah, he just his the quarters were messy because he researches his uh, like chaos theory or something. So again, this is the this is the plot line I want is that everybody fucking hates bunking with this guy, and that would have been like the first chance to reinforce that that guy's fucking miserable. Like, ah, oh, so good to be back in my normal cabin. That other guy, Daniel's old roommate, was a fucking pig. I can see why Daniel's pieced out via time <laughs> time beam. He didn't, just didn't want to deal with it anymore. I'd rather get time fragged too than fucking go back and share a bunk with this dude. So like T'Pol sets up that like we're going to be very formal. No one's going to talk to her. She's an ambassador. She's a big fucking deal. I really, you know, want to make sure everything goes right for this. And when they arrive on the planet, the, you know, planet president who, you know, Archer did not get to beam down with a gun at his hip to talk to this guy. It's to talk to they him. They were new. They didn't. They know haven't gotten the chance to do that yet. They don't the know Star that protocol. Way. They don't know the Janeway yet. They get a, a quick message, a little FaceTime action, like, hey, get your girl. Uh, in fact, we want you to get your girl so bad, we're going to literally like shove her in your face via shuttlecraft and then get out. And Archer's like, oh, this is a bit much. And that is when we finally get to meet Ambassador Valar. Well, no. While that shuttlecraft's approaching, the planet president's like, by the way, you know why you're here, right? Because she's a criminal and uh, she's getting she's getting kicked off. She was abusive position and criminal misconduct. Have some tea. So when they finally bring her on, it is, in fact, Data's mom. So the actress playing Valar is named... Oh God, it's it's Irish. Fanula Flanagan. Look at you, right? Like you're just straight off the streets of um, Safe Haven. Is that what it was called? Uh, Fair Haven. Fair Haven. There you go. Well, this the but more notably uh, in in terms of Star Trek to, I guess you and I. Uh, she also played the android version of. Of Data's mom or Dr. Soong's wife, Julia Tainer. And, uh, you know, there was a classic episode where, like, Data finds out she's an android, but she doesn't know she's an android. And there's a hologram of his dad who's like, hey, don't tell her. You know, she doesn't know. Whole thing. But that's her. Say, she's She also played a, a, a brief role on DS9. So she is a, a veteran uh, guest actress for Trek. She gets on. And despite all of T'Pol's warning and, and preening as to how this uh, luminary of the Vulcan diplomatic corps should be treated, she gets in. And she's like, what's up, dudes? Let's shake hands. Let's hang out. I do like how she awkwardly shakes hands because she doesn't quite understand it. But she like the way that she like windmills out her arm, you know, as part of the motion to like show it's unfamiliar to her, but she's still very willing to shake everyone's hand because she knows that's like customary among humans, which is, she's a diplomat. It makes sense. This is the third type of Vulcan we've met now. We've got the regular run of the mill, boring, borderline dickhead Vulcans. We've got the uh, Cenobite <laughs> uh, emotional explorer Vulcans who are reintegrating their emotions and like real chill dudes. And now we have this very emotionally intelligent uh, diplomat who, for whatever reason, even though she seems great around humans, is nowhere near Earth and makes all of the Vulcan diplomats on Earth look like dog shit. I like that because Valar is supposed to be such a veteran of diplomacy that she said she's emotionally intelligent. 
she doesn't really act emotionally with like a huge broad range during the episode. She's pretty restrained, but she is clearly able to feel out emotions and show a bit more as a consequence, probably of her age and experience. Right. That's they, they kind of gave that feeling off with how they decided to portray it. I viewed it as a tool as an active ability that she was using. No, because even in her conversations with DePaul, she seemed a lot more casual than anything. Yeah. Led. So I don't think that was necessarily an act she was putting on. And it took me a while. I think ultimately like the big reveal was kind of boring. Yeah, uh, it, it, Like a lot of enterprise episodes, it just like kind of peters out at the end. There was a lot of cool shit they could do. I thought for, really the majority of this episode that she was going to turn out to be a family relation to T'Pol. And that's why T'Pol was so um, well versed on what this lady should yeah, like, or like her or great aunt or something. Yeah. That's why she felt this deep sense of shame when she's like, Oh, you know, you did something bad and you've dishonored yourself and blah, blah, blah. Um, I was also feeling that like, because she was so loose and fluid, like was she another person that was, in the process of rejecting the old ways of Vulcan and like getting in contact with her emotions or doing some other taboo to Vulcan things. But no, this is just good diplomacy. This is why she's one of the best. As the show goes on and they continue to get deeper and deeper into like Vulcan background and mythos and do a lot of exploring on that. And a lot of their best work, particularly when they get into season four is about that. She embodies a kind of version of the Vulcans that I kind of I, I like, which is Vulcans never didn't have emotions. It's just that they had learned to restrain them and compartmentalize them. And the ones that take it too far are the ones that become very rigid and very um, predictable. And the ones that have figured it out are the ones like Falar, where there's a balance here. Tapping into this and, and understanding this is not forbidden. It's just you have to be measured. And that's what she strikes me as. Someone who's very measured and understanding how to integrate a certain level of her emotions into uh, her activities, particularly as it pertains to the fact she's a professional diplomat and has been for a century, you know? So they, they bring her on. She's you know, talkative. She's friendly. Um, she eats dinner with the crew or eats dinner with the captain and, and trip and to Paul. Very and playful. Tells a joke, you know, basically tells trip these inquiring about her age, you know, and gets, gets him to be defensive. And then, you know, it's like, don't worry, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, and gives off like, Oh, this, she's like, she's like your favorite Vulcan grandma. This lady's great. Have her on all the time. This is fantastic. But also maybe she's a criminal. And <laughs> they finally gets brought up and she's uh, she's like, I'm not going to offer a defense of what I'm accused of. Which is the first sign that like, of course, there's more to it, which we will find more about as the episode goes on. And, you know, dinner breaks up perhaps on a sour note because of the whole felonies thing. So there's going to be this um, charade where basically the diplomat has a secret, but she is not going to let anybody in as to what the secret is. Uh, and she's going to dance around, you know, hey, I've been accused of this stuff. Is it true or not? Mm. And she does a pretty good job deflecting on all of that. And to uh, Paul's background is that <clears throat> basically she, uh, Valar is like her childhood hero that like, she sought out and spoke to when she was young and it inspired her to like follow the career path she's on. So she's meeting her hero as we will find out and meeting her hero under circumstances in which she has been, you know, accused of dishonorable crimes that will crush her career and, and give a black eye to Vulcan. And uh, she's not thrilled by that. You know, I, I like that. I like that. They built that in that, you know, this is important to her and she she reveals that this is disturbing you know archer's got the throwaway line in there you know never meet your heroes because you're not going to like what you see blah 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 what i like about valar is that 
despite how chummy and warm she is towards Archer and the rest of the crew of Enterprise, ultimately she does not trust these people. Nope. And She's it still isn't a professional. Until, She's still a fucking professional. It isn't until basically the last 10 minutes of the episode where you really see the level of distrust, suspicion, and apprehension that she has for the humans. Um, when she kind of lets her guard down a little bit and starts revealing some stuff to uh, to Paul. So I thought that really made all this kind of friendly banter and uh, her ease of you know waltzing around the ship and really subverting a lot of expectations that to Paul had established as to how this lady was going to act and want to be treated. We get a little deeper in the episode and that is when enterprise is approached by some, what are they called? Mazarites. The Mazarites. So uh, one of the skeevian looking motherfuckers rolls up in his ship and is like, yo, Hey, what's up fellow spaceman? I am a totally nondescript flying, flying casually spaceman. Can I have the old lady back? We want to question her more. To which did you recognize this guy? I did not. This one I don't know. This dude's one of the 37s. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, he wasn't in a gimp suit. That's why I did not recognize him. <laughs> this is part of the part of... If you want me to recognize you from the 30, 37s, you have to be... That's in- why you weren't allowed to land on their homeworld and see anything any of those costly uh visual effects budgets in fact janeway told me they were great cities oh you heard that too i heard that as I, well. I heard that <laughs> as a t-shirt waiting to happen no i haven't been there but janeway says it's lovely <laughs> so they go hey uh you know what on second thought even though the president of the planet basically shoved her like put her in a shuttle pod and shot her at you before like <laughs> the second you were inhaling distance we already had her fucking coming up to dock um turns out we did a little too fast and she's got more crimes to answer for so we're just gonna go ahead and dock and uh we can take her off your hands and you can go about your way go over to rise and get your dick sucked and then uh, archer's like well let me talk to my boss yeah, seems sus. Gonna talk to my boss first. Here's something I normally would never do. Usually <laughs> when I'm faced with a plot element where talking to my boss would be um, reasonable, I, I, I forget that he even exists. But in this case, for the sake of the plot, I've had a change of heart. <laughs> I can see you resisting la- uh, singing that. Every time it comes I'm very up. Proud of it. Yeah. It hurts my feelings. No one talked about it on the group. <laughs> then you belted out an entirely I know, I know. new version of the song. I know. Like just off the cuff. It wasn't off the yeah. cuff. I had detailed notes. That, that was that was very premeditated. Even more of a reason why our fans let us down. So he goes, let me put you on a hold. I'm gonna go call him. Hoshi's like, yeah, that dude's jamming the fuck out of the signal. And Archer's like, huh. So then this uh, 37s dude just opens fire and we're going to establish some good uh, some good space combat cannon here. No phasers at warp. Uh, if you do that, you could uh, blow your nacelles and destabilize the warp field. So they only have their shitty known to not work torpedoes. Try that first. I always th- and it's interesting, too, because I always thought that photon torpedoes came about because they needed a way to engage other vessels in warp. So I figured that, you know, phasers came before torpedoes, but clearly vice versa. Eventually, because they do need to shoot these guys, they drop out of warp. They they bust them across the chops a couple times and then peace out. Fuck them up real good. I, I was proud of Enterprise. They hit him with the first volley. And then uh, Director Patrick Norse is like, well, oh, my God, that scene cost how much money <laughs> yeah second shot is going to be told us by archer from the comfort of his already built chair on the already built bridge cgi is money my friends which is also interesting too that uh enterprise didn't just shoot back at those guys does enterprise not have an aft torpedo launcher i do believe it does it has an aft and forward torpedo launcher two forward phaser cannons and one aft cannon hmm so they just busted them across the chops with the aft cannon. And then they're like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. And after that, 
is when they have their initial kind of conversation with uh, Valar, where you really start to understand what you've already detailed, which is there is not a lot of trust here. Whatever's going on, which has clearly become far more complex as a consequence of this action, she's not telling. And Archer takes the tactic of, I want you to tell me, no, there's something going on here. No, I'm going to go back to this planet and drop you the fuck back off unless you tell me. To which she says, I'm still not fucking telling you. And then he actually starts to go back. That's what was most interesting to me was he didn't just threaten to do it. He actually followed through. He was going to drop this bitch right back off where he found her and be like, well, I'm getting shot at. I am disinterested in being an errand boy for the Vulcans to begin with. And if being an errand boy for the Vulcans is going to involve me getting my people killed and you're not even giving me the common courtesy of knowing why, fuck you and the horse you rode in on. I'm taking you back. Well, I liked it. I liked that, that he drew that line to say, yeah, hey, I'll do the favor, but if it's going to start to get fucking complicated, you better, you best at least tell me what's going on. There's two things that Jonathan Archer's dick gets hard over. One is bleeding out of his mouth because yeah, he just wounds. got punched like Absolutely. concussion hard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the second is being a dick and taking his ball and going home or doing something to fuck over the people that he's previously was helping jump back to trucker justice mm-hmm. Watch where he me. tells yeah. uh, <laughs> uh better mayweather well we'll just go back over to the ship and i'm gonna take all my shit right back fuck you uh, and i think that's why it's really been a while since he's been a dick to this caliber is because the last time he pulled this shit he got back brought into a back alley and they tried to shoot him in the fucking head and he was like whoa <laughs> these dudes is real better be we almost, got rolled, we almost got rolled in the local warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need to be very, Here's what I prepared. need. I need someone to recut that uh, that Trucker Justice episode and to like uh, redub it with when keeping it real goes wrong. <laughs> what Jonathan Archer didn't know was that Better Mayweather also keeps it real, but he keeps it realer. I disagree with the idea of turning around, going back towards the planet seems to me like you're going to run into a lot more problems faster uh, and endanger yourself to a greater degree. So if he was just going to go dump her back off, then why not give her to that ship? Uh, Going to the Falcons, I think, really did seem like the more conservative and, and, and safer course of action. Uh, ultimately, her decisions are kind of stupid, too. Uh, spoilers coming up here. The big secret is that there is deep seated corruption in the government that the Vulcans are getting themselves in the middle uh, and that basically space gangsters want to kill her. And she does not feel comfortable disclosing any of this presumably because she's afraid that maybe somehow this fucking the only earth ship out this deep is on the payroll which that is such a huge yeah that's such a huge plot hole to me that they left wide open and did not address it was so much of a whisper in this episode we are led to believe that this highly professional and skilled diplomat came to the conclusion after it was clear that violence was going to be required to deliver her to the Vulcans successfully. And that Enterprise was perfectly willing and capable of delivering that violence. As to when the captain, who categorically cannot possibly be involved in the matter of the investigation that this apparent corruption is about, by dint of being the captain of the only Earth ship that has ever been to that planet and it was for five fucking minutes... Not to tell him what's going on. He is the only person I feel like you can tell and be assured. Like everyone on that ship, everyone on Enterprise, these people who can be trusted with this information, they are not involved, right? They don't, they're not involved. So I can tell them, listen, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do good in the universe. Just get me back to the Vulcans. Pretty pleased. You like this, you know, sometimes we do good things. That's what we're doing here. Hey, tell me why they're after you. Well, I can uh, look at your service record here and see that you've spent the past 10 months getting stuck on asteroids, digging your ancestors out of the fucking dirt over in uh, Terra Firma, whatever. 
Terra Nova, uh, yeah. Getting stuck in Dean Stockwell's concentration camp. Fighting Ferengi, even though we don't know what that name. Uh, yeah, you you guys are just like space hillbillies poking around, jumping from Walmart to Walmart. I'm I'm pretty sure you're not caught up with the fucking Narshada Hut Syndicate or whatever the fuck <laughs> the thirty sevens represents here. Yeah, they're trying to kill me because I'm gonna like I'm the star witness and I'm gonna like fucking prosecute. That that's that's why they're shooting at us. Just a huge even to the point where it's like okay, well. Maybe we're jumping forward too much here, but like, no, no, like this is where I like that Archer said, fuck you. If you're not going to tell me, I'm going to dump you off. Like, that's just a sensible thing for him to consider doing. And I'm glad that like, that is his impulse as a character in this circumstance to say, no, I'm not going to change the life of my whole crew on you not even telling me what the fuck is going on. That's bullshit because it is. And what they needed to do was build an actual reason for her recalcitrance in that moment. To you've make been it make to this sense. planet before. You've been in contact with the planet. I have some fucking reason to believe you might be in coots. And even if so, who cares? Because once push comes to shove, Captain, you're putting your ship in danger. There's no way out of this. It's a no-win situation. Just stop and let me go over to them, where presumably they're going to kill me. Okay? that that is That is option one. Option two being... I acquiesce to your demands to know what's going on, which I'm saying, no, let's just assume for a second Archer's dirty. I'm going to tell you I'm the star witness in exposing this corruption. And then dirty Archer goes, well, I'm in on it and I'm going to kill you anyway. Like there's no reason. She's not rude. She's not fucking anything up by telling him. Yeah, there is no, there's no way to be here. That makes sense. She should have just told him. And her recalcitrance is never justified enough aside to say from like, she just promised not to or vaguely, I guess like here's, I got the plot pen out. Uh, we, we, we fix this silliness and we replace, um, distrust slash fear. Uh, and we, we just say that basically, she doesn't really value them and uh, she's not telling them because she doesn't believe that they deserve to know or something else where you yeah. are beneath me, even though I've been acting nice and everything else. Like at the but end I'm of the diplomat. day, I still believe that I'm better than you and that you you're don't just, deserve you're to space know. monkeys. And this is Vulcan business. And um, no. And then finally, you know what? You're really going the distance. Uh, you, I, I respect you now. You're willing to die. Here's why it is. It's ultimate justice. Um, you know, I was I was racist. I was space racist before for not telling you. But clearly I see now that my initial misgivings about humanity were misplaced. To Paul has shown me uh, that you guys, uh, you have proven to Paul Wright that you are honorable. And, you know, ultimately there's a future with us. And they try to butt up against that by having to Paul have a lot of interaction with Valar about like, you know, humans need to, to tr- start and learn to trust Vulcans because we've earned their trust rather than we feel like we're deserve it because we, you know, help them out, you know, in the past, like they, they do try to like play that element out, but rather than it all being a consequence of like Valar's like sincerely held semi-racist beliefs that she just can't trust humans with sensitive information because they're just not ready. It plays off as a fucking sideshow. And when she decides to fucking come clean to, to Paul, it's only because she'll only tell to Paul and then to Paul has to go to Archer and be like, she doesn't even tell to Paul though. She doesn't even give to Paul the truth. Merely says, can you trust me? And then Paul says, you know, to Archer, can you trust me? Just let, can, can we just play our hunches here, please? Which I loved. Yes, that was cool. Like her saying, I have not asked you for a fucking thing in 10 months. I am asking for this. Please turn this ship around and head for the Vulcan ship that's trying to come to us. And she, he, he goes for it on that basis alone to say, you're right. You have not asked me for anything. I will save us a bunch of times and they didn't need to say it. I mean, I've been watching 23 episodes of this. I like that enterprise rewards 
uh, continuity observations. She doesn't have to say, I've bent over backwards. You know, I've put up with all this other bullshit. I've saved your life. Like probably, I don't know what, at least 10 episodes was me saving the day. It's just, listen, I'm asking you for this. It's a big deal, please. And instantly he acquiesces. That that was perfect. That was great. It was just a flimsy fucking plot point that this lady's being uptight about some real two-dimensional boring shit. This is, I think, a lot about the parts of this episode that work, that even though the key plot contrivance doesn't actually make any fucking sense, that it still provides enough interesting shit going on with the intrigue of the planet, with T'Pol actually having good content, with a lot or herself being an interesting kind of character and some more info in the background of Vulcans and how this shit works, that I still liked all the content we got. The vehicle's just, shitty, but the destination's great. Yeah, and it's a shame that, like, to Paul's best moment in what feels like two months of watching this fucking show has to come as a consequence of uh, a giant plot hole that a Mack truck could, could go through. You know, that stakes, but like, it was still good. Jumping back to the space combat, I like that Archer doesn't seem to be aware... Archer's dad developed the Warp 5 engine, or did Archer's dad build the NX-01? The Warp 5 engine. There's a big part, like, Archer's background is engineering, right? That is correct. This guy doesn't know that shooting the fucking phasers is going to rip the ship apart and warp? Hey, phasers are new. Literally installed it a few <laughs> a few weeks ago. I don't know, that seems like a real fucking doozy. Like, there should have been... <laughs> the first thing you need to know about a proton pack, Ray... Or uh, Venkman is you don't cross the streams, otherwise you collapse space time. Archer, here's this new Death Star, this Death Ray. Use it in warp; it's gonna fuck your shit up. So, FYI, you know there's there's some other dialogue in here thrown around. Hey, there will be repercussions. This episode does a good job of correctly vilifying the villains. So when they're like, "There's gonna be reparations or uh, 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 repercussions." You're kind of like, well, whatever, fuck you. You guys are a bunch of sleaze bags. We're all right with being at odds with you, unlike fucking Dean Stockwell and some of the other uh, bad guys that they've made a little bit too uh, easy to identify or, you know, understand, too motivated, too well motivated. Yeah, these guys are dirtbags the whole time. And when they are trying to get back to their Vulcan rendezvous, instead of one on one, whom they, whom they can smack the taste out of their mouths. It's three on one. So we've got a real problem on our hands. And that's when we get actually a pretty cool moment for continuity. And that is Enterprise, for the very first time, a Warp 5 vessel has to actually go Warp 5. Did you think it was silly to send the Enterprise out into deep space without installing its guns? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I like the premise, though. Warp 5 is a theoretical limit. They've never actually tried to get all the way Yeah, there. but it's like Archer says, it's called the fucking Warp 5 engine. Like, cool, hey, we got some downtime while we're... I, take the most trivial shit they've done so far. We're, we're uh, cataloging a fucking uh, asteroid or, you know, whatever we were doing on the rogue planet planetoid. Hey, by the way, Starfleet wants to know this big fucking deal engine that was like a huge collaboration of all of Earth to put forward. Can we can we stress test that real quick? You got to bring it in first, Peter. When you buy a new starship, you've got to make sure that you treat it gently for the first 10,000 light years. Bullshit. You get that bitch out on the fucking highway. And you can <laughs> Just immediately. 70. Immediately. Okay. I like that they go to warp five. And Archer doesn't even fucking like go, you know, in all hands. All right, guys. Hey, uh, we're going to try this warp five thing. So hold on. Yeah, we have prepare for ludicrous speed. <laughs> like we're going for it. I get they get to warp five. They do, but it's not good enough because <laughs> this mass rights could probably go like warp 5.5. I the piece of dialogue I'd like was like that moment of relief when they hit warp five and like the shuddering kind of stops and like the ship's like, all right, it's working. Like 
I would have liked some throwaway dialogue or like a look or something of Archer like we did it, dad. Something to acknowledge, because as much as the dad comes up and especially in this episode, even like the Vulcans held us back and blah, 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 warp technology, warp technology, warp technology. My dad never got to see his dreams realized, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, this was a, it's a moment where it finally happens. He got the ship to warp five. We did it. We fucking did it, guys. But like you said, it's not good enough. And those other fucking yeah. ships are like, they're, <laughs> they they're throwing water on the engines, trying to keep them from like burning up. I and do like, really, I'm, you know, the engine room of the, of the NX-01 is growing on me. I love the submarine feel of it. I love how kind of claustrophobic it is. And that you got people like working on fucking valves and fucking look like analog. Like what are those called? Uh, Franklin furnaces? Yeah, like you're on an old Navy ship. Mm-hmm. Fire oh. shooting out. I th- I just, I think that's dope. I just think that that's a cool detail. And that like in this scene, it's like all super overtaxing trip is like desperately trying to keep this shit running and it is not working. Eventually they get, they get uh, to the end of their ability to be at warp five and they've got to bail and drop out of warp. So they need a, they need a plan C. So now at this point, Valar has explained what her motivation is. She's got buy full buy-in from Archer. Uh, who is willing to sacrifice everybody on the ship uh, to continue this this pursuit to get her to uh, safety. They're making futile attempts to try and radio the uh, Vulcans and be like, hey, <laughs> we need help like really bad. Maybe turning around and heading back the wrong way for two hours was a bad move after all, because of course, obviously it was. And uh, Archer goes into, we need more time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stall him however I can. You get down to sick bay. we got a little... Trick here. We gotta need to buy 10 minutes for the warp seven super Vulcan class murder machine to show up. What do you what do you what's your plan? Just now's your time to trust me. Just hey, go play dead in the fucking the morgue. That's all. No, yeah. no, you need to trust me now. The tables have turned. Off they go. Uh 37's captain's like, all right, we're gonna board you. He's like, Yeah, but how fast can you go? <laughs> We're going to board you. Yeah, but how fast can you go? I, I like that. And I, I I like that it's it's him stalling, but it's also real talk. Okay, like, God damn it. I got my fucking ship to War 5. And it wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. You fucking pissed me off with this. We're going to board you. It's just going to be me and two goons. This is going to be the most. These these uh, Mazarians, not good space pirates. These guys, th- this is where it does fall apart, right? Like you are just trying to buy time. But like offering no resistance to these three dudes who are storming your ship. Like, are you serious? Like, we're not going to give any dialogue or any explanation for why it like not even have security on hand when you show up just to make sure that like, you know, you're not bringing a bomb or other crazy shit. No, none of that. It's just we got to wrap it up, right? Like, let's get to the end. Okay, all right. I suppose bring them in. Hey. Well, you know, the the thing is, here's a long, convoluted story. Shut up and tell me where she's at. Well, I was getting to that. A lot of uh, feet dragging, which makes sense. Okay, well, she's in med bay. We'll go there. Flox puts on uh, a good show. You know, you're not going to hurt someone on my... I, if I'm going to tell my own crew members that they can't uh, experiment on sperm slugs to save the captain's life, uh, I, I, I can tell you guys to fuck off as well. Yeah, she's in this thing in the wall. She's being worked on. If we open the door too soon, it's going to kill her. Uh, all right, so open the goddamn thing up. We're cle- clearly here to kill her anyways. So all of this so that the the big ruse is they they shoot holes in the imager thing she's in there. Flock's like, no, don't do it. And they're like, yeah, shoot it. And then the Vulcans show up and just, you know, 360 no scope all of these ships with like just casually brushing them off. It's like their ship is huge. It's just like this needed to be so much more, man. Like I wanted that fucking Vulcan warship to pop in there like uh, Galactica when it was launching the raid on. What was that? New, New Caprica, yeah. New Caprica and just fucking warping right on top of that. Just boom, boom, blow one of the ships up. Boom, boom, blow the other ship up and be like, where's that? Where's that little bitch ass 37's captain at? 
tell him to knock that bullshit off or I'm going to blow his last <sighs> ship up. Instead, they kind of give him a little bit of a, a soft treatment, you know, to let everyone escape. But the the reveal at the end, of course, is that the ambassador wasn't in the imager. Dun, dun, dun. Like, it all just falls apart. Every piece of this falls apart. Like, oh, you just need to trust me. We're going to have this big ruse. Instead, it's just like, bitch about how your ship is faster. And then you and two of your guys show up and you, you know, damage a piece of my equipment. And she was never in there to begin with. And we never really sold very hard that she was. <laughs> And now she's fine, and everyone knew she was going to be fine. It's it, it strikes of the shadows of Pajem, where they come up with just the sloppiest ending possible to try and make the plot work. They could have just saved a lot of money and time and just said, you know, just give you an end title card. Uh, and Archer tricked them. She was fine, and everyone lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, just show a cue card. <laughs> just like Poochie went back to his home planet. Like, yeah, just, well, we we took <laughs> care of what we were after, and then the 37s go to leave, and the door opens up, and of course she's there for her, like, it, it stinks of uh, the thaw where Jamie just has to get her last word. No, actually, I'm still... You know what? It feels like the fucking game we used to play where someone would cheat their way out of a kill scene but then come and try and like rub it in someone's face. And like, you didn't earn this. Yeah. You didn't earn this moment of dunking. All right. It's not like when I successfully prosecute a tribunal and get to like have that celebratory eye fuck before they have to get hauled off and executed. No, yeah. you don't get that. You weren't you- smarter than me. I was just super dumbed down by the fucking plot. So we could wrap the entire end of this episode up in literally three minutes. And that's pretty much what happens. It's a, like, it's a Scooby-Doo ending. They just rip is. the mask off the plot. Oh, she's alive. Oh, we would have gotten away for this if it wasn't, you know, for Jonathan Archer and these pesky kids. The the Maserites get run off. The Vulcan ship is massive. It is really big. I like the scale. Yes. And is hanging out. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, we're going to say our goodbyes and the ambassador has her, her final like, Oh, you know, you and T'Pol, I like that. This is, this bond is formed. You two are friends. This could be bode well for the future of Vulcans and humanity. And here's my last windmill handshake for you, captain. And then does the formal greeting with T'Pol. Off I go to help Noonien sound develop the positronic net. I would have liked again, if we're going to continue the arc of, uh, regaining favor with the Vulcans that the Vulcan captain comes over or some sort of exchange of, you know, you were brave. Uh, We're very impressed by what we've seen. Clearly leaving to Paul on the ship uh, was the right move because if she wasn't here, none of this would have played out the way it did. And in the end, all the things we are doing is working towards something better. Um, you know, it's not enough to taint the entire episode for me, especially after the fucking turds that we've come off of a uh, little boring in a lot of ways, very two dimensional, even more ways. But again, the the effects that the lame parts cause uh, in in character developments worth the watch. I overall completely agree. I feel like the parts of this that don't work is just some sloppy ass tv writing and we've you know, i i don't want to tart like enterprise too hard with this how many fucking times did we say this about voyager like yeah they just kind of phoned it in at the end this is a terrible habit of the medium at the time is you you have this great first 35 minutes of story and then you just don't know how to fucking end the damn thing seems to just be a problem with with writers and in, in you know this 20 year period of television and this is just another one of the canon of didn't quite figure out what it was supposed to be, uh, how that that climax was supposed to work. But I wanna, enough about it works that it was good to watch. I want to jump back to the space battles. It's been a while since we've seen one in Enterprise. I haven't really seen anything out of Enterprise yet that looks like it's broken the bank on special effects, minus the very costly pilot. Yeah, the pilot really spent a ton of money on the effects. And again, I don't feel that they were well spent. I think they look shitty, uh, but they did spend a lot of fucking money on it. They almost spent like a movie budget on it. 
this is post Voyager. This is way post Voyager. Voyager had some fucking tight space fights. They had some stuff, especially towards the end, that looked really good. That one where uh, Seven and Nine's whatever breaks in her head, and that's the one where each have has to give his own. Mm-hmm. And the Delta flyers like going at it with space pirates flying around the debris of a Borg cube. They've done cool shit. So. Yeah, the, remember the flesh and blood fight when they're like fighting against the Herogen and the holographic ship and they're like fucking th- Voyager was like throwing down three against one. Yeah, and like just crushing and it was like really well shot and done. So again, when the Vulcan badass warship shows up and it's just the lamest, you know, one or two shots and the 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 Mazarian ships just kind of wiggle a little bit like, come on, man, put. I know you can do better than this. Do better. It, it's rare we get to see these space combat scenes. Give me something worthwhile. It, you could have kept it economical while providing more impact because the ship could have shown up and then it could just shoot one thunderous phaser blast at one of the ships and then have it impact. But instead of just hitting the shields and sort of hurting it, like we obviously saw earlier with Enterprise's phaser cannons. Instead, it hits it, and it fucking moves the fucking thing. You hear the, hear the clunk, you know, and you see maybe a piece fall off, and you know, it's like, oh, these, these guys, this is on a different level, and now, like, the fucking party's over. And yeah. it's still economical. You don't have to do a lot, but just use what you're doing more effectively. Well, which- we've said it before that uh, <laughs> Enterprise is just a series of of shitty gunfights <laughs> shitty gunfights and head wounds the enterprise this is story. just a shitty gunfight in space what's our next shitty gunfight after this we're moving into season one episode 24 desert crossing i don't know there's some fucking dudes with uh black shit on their mouth and they've got blankets over their head when archer and trip are invited to a desert like planet by an alien leader they discover he is a terrorist who lured them there under false pretenses meanwhile to paul while in command faces a tough decision when she cannot locate archer and trip in the desert i'm sorry that description sort of spoiled the episode a little bit but I really like this one. Uh, the guest star is going to be very familiar to you and he's excellently used. And um, I just like a lot of the premise. They, they, they build a story in this one and I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to watching it again. Sounds good. All right. And thank you so much for all of you who've listened to the future, please. And we'll see you next week. 